Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Killing Me Softly song is really funny as well. I think that is universal you know we've all been to school we've all sat through those kind of assemblies it's well written i think that it's got some very good central performances and that quote that marcus says in it um two people isn't enough you need backup i think actually makes mm. it quite inclusive in terms of recommending it to people because at the end of the film you aren't being told that the way to happiness is necessarily you know to to pair up it's more about someone needing a support system. And I think that's a really universal message. Community. Yeah, exactly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rich. Hello. Kat. Hi. And the biggest fan of cats ever, Helen. Hello. <laughs> talking about dead ducks and other things in About a Boy. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Rich and Kat. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Uh, my name's Catherine Lowe. I'm a promoter and writer with a background in theatre. I'm one half of a podcast called Don't You Want Me, where we explore relationships in movies that we think are interesting, often romantic ones, though not always. So... Obviously, when people think about relationships in films, it just goes to romance. What are the non-romantic relationships that you guys have delved into? One of the ones that we've delved into is uh, between uh, Patrick Swayze's character and Keanu Reeves's character in the film Point Break. Okay. The fantastic epic by Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere near the remake? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, no, not many people have. I think it kind of sank without a trace. Until everyone, someone says point break, and then someone says not remake. It's that yeah. kind of, it's that kind of thing. Exactly. In the same way, someone says Scottish, Scottish money. Is that legal tender? <laughs> that kind of verbiage. Kind of um, yeah, I was listening to your show, uh, Drive. It's one of my favourite films ever. Um, it's a really popular one. That one. What your that episode or the film in general? Yeah, the when when we uh, announced that we were going to be doing that film, it it did seem to get quite a big response, didn't it, Rich, from social media? Yeah, I think we we kind of tend to do some older films, so it's nice that I think it doesn't sit in that retro category that a lot of podcasts do. And uh, that was a fun one. It was um yeah, it sort of dropped under the radar a little bit, and everyone seemed to enjoy it, but not many people talk about enjoying it, which was a weird one. So it was nice to actually sit and talk about it, and everyone. Talk mainly about the soundtrack and the 
silver or the the satin jacket that Ryan Gosling wears. But uh, again, it's uh, an icon in many ways. I very nearly did buy that jacket. It's from a scorpion in the back, isn't it? And it's one of those things I just think I'm glad I did because it would would have been ridiculous now. Um, but I did start using toothpicks a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I started using driving gloves, but it looked a bit too Alan Partridge. <laughs> uh, sorry, Rich, introduce yourself a bit. You've been on here before. I have, yeah. We, um, I was on last year talking about Coming to America, one of the uh, greatest films of all time. No spoilers. And, um, yeah, I used to do the Beatmax Video Club podcast on an indefinite break now while Kat and I are doing Don't You Want Me, um, enjoying it hugely. Uh, I do have a side podcast about the most niche football you can watch in the world. But uh, yeah, the, the films are where it's at at the moment. And yeah, we're uh, exploring relationships. And it's nice that we get to, I, I get to fill a lot of the gaps in my knowledge. We've watched films that I'd never seen before. So when you talked about relationships that weren't romantic, mm. uh, we also did The Devil Wears Prada uh, and the relationship between Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway there. And uh, which which was interesting because I probably would never have watched it in a million years, and yeah, we, and then we're doing Die Hard soon, and we're looking for the, the non-romantic relationships there, mainly between John and Al. I think it's going to be, and obviously romantic relationships you've done in Notting Hill. Yeah, that's um, as we're recording. That's the next one we're doing. It was actually the first episode we recorded, right of our joint podcast but one of the later ones to come out so i think you probably see as as most people who who do or listen to podcasts will probably spot the difference between the polished thing that it becomes and what it started out as as us being mostly just relieved after all the talk we actually got down to actually doing it which uh, took many months to be honest <laughs> it did it did it really did that's, that's the thing about when you dig into relationships in films, it can t- tell you quite a bit about uh, the moment in time that the film is made. Like that one with Notting Hill, we thought that the relationship between Anna and William kind of hinted at that moment in time and how kind of obsessed we all were with the idea of being famous. It was like released the year before the first Big Brother, rather. Mm. And um, his, his kind of awe... His awe of Anna, I think, sort of really hints to how preoccupied we all were at that moment in time with the idea of becoming famous for, for basically anything. Well, OK, we're going to be talking today, obviously, about films, but we can talk about relationships in this one. We're talking about About a Boy, uh, which is George Bush Rich. Can you tell us why you chose it? And then I'm going to, I'm going to get a countdown time and you've got 60 seconds or less to tell us the synopsis. Well, basically, I chose a film um, when this film came out in 2002. Uh, Nick Hornby was one of my favourite authors. I'd read Fever Pitch numerous times, High Fidelity, and then About a Boy. And, and having seen the film adaptations of those, it was quite a, a natural one. That I'd, I'd jump at this. Um, going into the synopsis, it's about about a boy, obviously, but it's also about a man who essentially, when, when I, I first saw this at, at 22, this is a guy who's living off his father's one-hit wonder Christmas song. Um, he doesn't have a job. He lives in what looked like a very trendy part of, I think it's Islington, Clerkenwell sort of way in this bachelor pad. And he sort of joins a single mother's group to hit on women and, and get girlfriends, then meets well, the son of one of them. And they go on these adventures where... Marcus, the young boy, tries to set him up with his mum, who's a depressed lady who tries to commit suicide. Will uses Marcus to try and get Rachel Weiss to go out with him. And the kind of relationship between them blossoms over the course of the film. And it's um, 
yeah, it's quite a an aspirational tale if you like spending your days watching Countdown with a twelve year old boy in your living room. Um, where do you sit on? Is this our first Nick Hornby adaptation we've had in here? Uh, what do you sit on Nick Hornby and adaptations of his books if you've uh, read them? Any of them? I've, I've read a few of them. I haven't read any of his more recent ones, but um, a big fan of his style. And yeah, I've read about a boy and how to be good and high fidelity and his 21 songs and then a couple of the later ones Mm. um and generally his film adaptations are pretty good i think this is one of the the really good ones um um features everyone's favorite film mom tony collette i think one of the reasons that this works so well is that the the cast is quite brilliant and obviously an early outing for nicholas holt and um the, the soundtrack as well, the Badly Drawn Boy soundtrack. So I think this is, I remember watching it when it came out and having a lot of love for it. So it was really nice to revisit it, even if the sight of DVDs and CDs is quite amusing. <laughs> it's sort of a retro vibe. <laughs> CD players, portable CD players. My God. This is introducing Nicholas Holt into the start. So this was his first thing before then, Skins, before then playing Beast and before like taking over the world. And the same about him and Will Poulter, just like run, run fantastic the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's why I was thinking of Will Poulter because they both have like amazing eyebrows, don't they? <laughs> and you, Kat, where do you sit on about a boy? Uh, so I saw it at the cinema when it first came out. Um, mm. In the previous decade, I'd snuck in underage to watch Four Ends in a Funeral with my mate. And from then on, I was very much all in on Hugh Grant. I thought he was a very gifted comedic actor and I also had a poster of him frolicking in some sunflowers I think from smash hits on my wall Um, and I was also um, a fan of Nick Hornby I had read The High Fidelity several times when I was a teenager so I think I was really looking forward to seeing this at the cinema and I do remember laughing a lot particularly at Hugh Grant in the um, support group scene and also Nicholas Holt listening to Shake Your Ass in the corridor and um, but I hadn't watched it again properly in in full and until now, I mean rewatched it rather. And yeah, I, th- I thought it held up well. There's one gag at the start. Then if you pause it, when um, Nicholas Holt's character um, said to me about Hayley, I'm not Hayley Joel Osment in the film, and obviously his mum is played by Tony Collette. Um, in Sixth Sense, his mum. Oh yeah, yeah. Tony Collette. So I think did they do that on purpose? Anyway, that's the sideline. Um, <laughs> I think so. It's it's kind of like a very um, knowing meta. film, isn't it? And yeah. it's there's a lot of like winking at the audience over certain things and sort of you know going, yeah, you know, we're doing this joke now. Yeah. You'll, you'll yeah. like it. You'll get it. It was that that kind of vibe, wasn't it, for kind of English filmmaking in stuff like that? A little bit winky, a little bit like kind of fun vibes. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it as well was um, things like when they have these nods and they also have the jokes in there that you kind of think they they still work now, but you kind of needed to have some of the, like the daytime TV, for example, I and mean, luckily Countdown is still running. Mm. So there's a lot of, you know, some of it is aged quite well in terms of the pop culture references. Um, but we're at a point now in 2021 where 
vinyl is one of the biggest physical media sales you can get. And we're wondering, we joked about how people were buying CDs and things like that. And we're wondering if, if they'll make a comeback in the future. He, he goes into HMV, the big HMV that used to be on Oxford Street and browsing there and seeing all those people flicking through CDs and magazines. And you're wondering if, if those days will ever come back. Because, uh, I mean, it looked like... I don't know, it looked like quite a nice life. I think when I was yeah, in my early 20s and saw this, I thought, oh, wow, that's that's how I want to be. But um, it turns out <laughs> if you don't have a job uh, when you grow up, then you're apparently uninteresting to everyone, which I found a, a slightly interesting take on things. But um, I guess there's also the oppo- opportunity for you to transpose which one-hit wonder would have been his dad in a different film would it have been we're imagining it's something like Roy Wood from Wizard <laughs> so I I thought that there was something interesting picking up on what you were just saying Rich in the way it as a film explores how all of us there's something in all of our lives that makes us feel weird so in Marcus's case you know his mother bakes bread that kills ducks and he wears the wrong clothes to school etc and um and, you know, Hugh Grant's character is kind of taking him by the hand and teaching him how to be a bit cooler in those respects. But then on the other hand, when he goes to these sort of glittering London parties and someone says to him, you know, what, what do you do? And he doesn't have an impressive or, you know, good response for that. Suddenly he feels like the weirdo. And yeah, I thought that as a film, it's quite good at kind of showing you how everyone has something that they feel a bit odd about and um kind of which is why everyone should band together and support each other because we're all outcasts in one way or the other it's kind of like a quite a, a sort of sweet sort of message of the the be yourself and being unique and sort of being your own person but the, i mean we've kind of mentioned it briefly but the sort of main sort of story starts between them because of the the suicide attempt and there's that kind of maybe this is sort of what you were saying, Kobe, in that like there's this very serious sort of suicide and depression and it's not really until the sort of the end of the film that her mood starts to change and, Mm. um, you know, Marcus is sort of, you know, very sort of intent on making her happy and it's really upsetting him and and messing him up that he's, you know, witnessed his mother's suicide attempt and Mm. that he's scared that she's going to do it again. And the reason he starts to go to Will's flat is because he doesn't want to go home in case he goes home to that. So there's this kind of weird sort of really intense sadness going on at the same time. Everything's a little bit sort of bants and jokies at the same time, which might be what you're not quite sure about, Kobe. I don't know. Yeah. I think that I think that's part of it. I think, sorry for everyone who's listening. This should sound better now. Uh, I just had to change the microphone. Um, I think what I just always I, I, my heart always aches for the kids who are outcast for other reasons apart from you know they're being individuals and that always. And I, I don't I, I don't think I like seeing that on screen so much because I just think it's it's harsh, isn't it, for, for young kids to be just they randomly sing out tunes and have to wear the clothes that the mothers make them wear or not allowed to go to McDonald's that therefore they don't have friends and even their friends don't want to hang around with them. I just feel, but it's, it, you know, it's real life and maybe the juxtaposition as you're saying, Helen, with the, um, with the comedy, um, cause some bits are you know, laugh out loud funny is a hard kind of yin yang situation. I can't really reconcile, but I mean, generally, I, you know, overall I really enjoy it. And I think the, maybe it's also, you know, um, Hugh Grant's character preying on women as well essentially you know what i mean it's like yeah 
I, mm. I think that's one of the things that's kind of it, probably when you're looking, we're now what twenty odd years further on. Mm. God, that makes makes me sound old. And he's lying about having a child. Yeah, and he does it more than once. <laughs> you know, so he always gets caught out in the lie, and then decides to use it again on on Rachel Weiss. And then the scene where he kind of says, "Well, I didn't explicitly say it." You know, you that's what you inferred into it and then suddenly he was like yeah it, it, it's strange that he's dug himself into this hole and then comes out blaming her it's it's, it's strange watching it now For, you know because you yeah, kind of think yeah. 20 years ago there, there would have been a bit of oh you lad <laughs> you know you... definitely like the overflow of 90s lad culture sort of slightly seeping into this yeah, i think yeah, there's some of the elements there's that kind of thing in friends an episode of friends for example where Joey and uh, Chandler went out with Ross's baby because they thought it'd be great to hook, you know, pull yeah. women. And obviously, yeah, that's not, it's not right, is it? I think that's another thing. I do think that's another, that kind of preying on women aspects of things. But anyway, I mean, generally otherwise. It's also the era where like being vegetarian was a punchline and it was, <laughs> which is the same in like Notting Hill, I think as well. There's like not eating vegetables is like a weird freaky thing where it's like them being vegetarian is like, so what? Like if you show this to like a, but a teenager today, they'd be like, so what's, why are they so like on you being vegetarian? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's true. the future now, guys. It's Completely. quite funny. <laughs> I, I found it strange when, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to it in a bit, but someone mentioned when we said we were, we were watching about a boy that this was from the directors of American Pie. Mm. And I kind of forgot that. I, I knew it at the time, but I forgot, you know, when you think of American Pie being this, you know, still very memorable film with one memorable scene involving the pie. But, um, you know, th there wasn't a huge amount of, I suppose, that, that darkness in there that we have here. And, and it was mostly about the gross health humour. And, you know, again, there were some jokes about mums and single mums in there. But um, when you then take it, what, three, three or four years later and they land on about a boy, it's an interesting kind of, change of tone a little bit i mean i'm not, I'm not saying they, they should stick to american pie sequels i think there were eight or nine of them but it's um funny how that kind of <laughs> leads from one thing to another when I, I, one of the things i read and it was involving robert de niro's production company and that this was initially planned as a vehicle for robert de niro and i don't know if when high fidelity moved from holloway road to chicago because i when i read high fidelity for the first time i was working in our price on holloway road so assumed it was about me because of course it is <laughs> um but then that moved to america and was really well made and did really well and i wonder if they tried to do that again and, and kind of thought it's maybe they they would have been changing far too much of it but again you've taken it from you know again showing where i grew up um this was pretty much almost entirely made in islington mm. so that nick hornby keeping it real isn't it that's, I mean, that's Nick Hornby through and through. And I noticed you're wearing an Arsenal top there as well. So uh, Sorry. <laughs> even more about you. <laughs> I mean, everyone here said they've read the book. Why, where are you in general on, on book to film conversions? And can you remember key plot points of the, of, the, of the book that may or may not have made it to this version of the film? I remember this book being closer to the film than most i mean high fidelity was fairly close other than again that mainly the to, yeah. yeah but i think that the plot points of that were fairly similar and this was quite close i mean obviously fever pitch was drastically different but um fever pitch was uh, an, an abomination um yeah we'll, we'll we'll probably come to that at some point that might be my <laughs> pick for 
for one of our episodes. But um, yeah, I think I remember this being fairly close. Not, I mean, they, they had to change some things for, I mean, it, 2002, and I think we were sort of midway beyond well, it, it, Britpop it was set, and Cool Britannia and all that. It was, it was set when, in the book, it's set when, um, well, there's a lot more of the storyline from what I remember between the boy, Marcus, and uh, I think, was it Natalie? No, Natalie's the, her actor's name. The girl he fancies who's a few years above him in school. That, Ellie, yeah. that became Ellie, yeah, that became a lot more developed in the in the in the book, and also and it was revolved around her love of Nirvana, and it, you, I think a lot of the storyline was based around when Kurt Cobain died. There was like one day when everyone found out Kurt Cobain died, that um, like Marcus was like, "Holy shit, I need to go make sure Ellie's okay." But other than that, I think yeah, the main plot points are are there. Uh, Helen, you. Yeah. I was going to say, though, that kind of makes sense now. It's all coming back to me reading the book. And mm. that probably explains why the relationship that's probably the weakest for me is probably his relationship with Ellie. There's like that strange bit where suddenly she's like at Will's flat at the at the end. And it's like, OK, so what's their deal? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's I think that's probably their relationship has been sacrificed for time and fitting everything in. And it kind of feels a bit like... Mm, not really sure it it works that that well in the film. I think it's just to make sure that he's not super. He's not a super pariah, I guess, and he's got some friends who's one of the coolest girls in the school, isn't it? I think that's the. So he's got at least some kind of cred to him, I guess. One thing that's quite interesting about him as a writer is the fact that he is a really good uh, writer of screenplays as well as mm. being a good novelist. Because um, I really like the screenplay that he did for An Education. Oh, is that, that him? Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought that was a, a really great one. And did, so, did he do Brooklyn as well, the Saoirse Ronan film? Oh, I think, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. So quite very talented in that way. Um, one thing that I think is, is good about the, the film is um, the fact that Toni Collette has quite a fleshed out character there and she's not there to be someone's love interest. And I think that that's quite, quite rare in a film like this, really. You know, she's... and. Not, I'm not there in any way to be objective. You know, she's she's got her own narrative going on, and that's that's really good. I mean, Tony Collette is just dynamite in every single thing she's in. <laughs> she, she really is, absolutely. Uh, I think the last one I saw of her was Hereditary, which we did for this podcast as well, and yeah, completely different performance there. And I need to rewatch. I think I've only seen Six Sense once because you know, once you know the twist, you're kind of like, do I need to see it again? But I really, I've forgotten so many bits about it. That I should really watch it again. Even if it's just for Tony Collette, I think that's reason enough to watch it. I think. Definitely. Reason to watch any film for me. <laughs> um, just going back to Nick Hornby and screenplays, he also did the screenplay for Wild, which we have also had on here. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. But yeah, his books are, um, there's, there's him and David Nichols, I find they're, they're sort of sort of similar-ish and they, they, both, they both write very easily. Like you can go, I can see how you could turn this into a screenplay. It's very easy on the, the eyes to, to read, but... I like Nick Hornby. I um, say so I haven't read any of his later ones, but I did see Juliet Naked recently, which was kind of fun. So uh, he's still cracking them out. Yeah, I remember I, I, I read Juliet Naked, Naked a while ago, but he's not, yeah, he's not a fixture. To be honest, I don't have much time <laughs> at the moment to read a whole book. Mm. If I start reading, I, I, read, I try and read a book at night, I'm in bed and like five minutes later, I'm asleep. So I read maybe a page and a half and then I go, I go back, I have to go back to reread it again because I've completely forgotten what I've read. So I don't have the time to just laze around on the Sundays and read books like I did, which is a crying shame. 
I wonder if um, his books would work as audio books these days, although mm. he'd be uh, stealing our customers as podcasts. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but then uh, yeah, he'd have to get a celebrity in to, to read it and see. Although he could do it himself. I, I met him once. He's a, a distinctive voice. So before we go into scores, I just want to talk about the actors then and now. This is 20 years since it came out in the cinemas and a fair few people have grown on to bigger and better things. I mean, is there anyone you want to point out in particular? Um, well, one person we did talk about um, on, on social media before this happened was um, Natalia, who played Ellie. She was yeah. in the uh, – popped up as an episode of The Mandalorian yeah. um, a couple of years – it was last year or the year before. And it, I mean, I, I know did a lot of people – know from that because she was painted in purple, isn't she? I think I'd heard before it was on that she oh, was okay. in it. And I think someone had – obviously, spoiler on Twitter. But I, I haven't seen any of the Harry Potter films. I believe she's in those or yeah. several of them. But again, that's just the kind of – it's nice when you see – a film when people have gone on, especially when they're the younger actors. I mean, I say a lot of people know Nicholas Holt, but then, you know, you've got other actors in there in small roles. You know, Rachel Weiss has gone on to great things. It's, this wasn't exactly her breakout. She didn't have a big role, but, you know, things like that. It's nice to see when you go back and, and you recognise people. And it is the kind of, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was playing Osher in um, Game of Thrones. Um, I was like, I really recognise Ellie. I can't remember where from. And then you do the IMDb digging. So, oh yeah, it was her. And then obviously the list appears. Um, and Nicholas Holt was a weird one for me because when he came into Skins, I thought I thought this would be a one and done kind of TV film appearance for him. But when he came into Skins, I was like, this kid from About a Boy. And then he's still. I tell you what, everyone, people from Skins have done amazingly. I remember seeing this uh, at this at the cinema as I was talking about, and it was around this. I think it was a year after Bridget Jones's Diary came out. Mm. And it did feel, if one had been following Hugh Grant's career, as I had, it did feel like quite an exciting moment because there was something about this role and, and his role in Bridget Jones's Diary where he was being allowed to kind of evolve beyond someone who was just playing a kind of nice guy mm. and finding his edge a little bit. And yeah, really, you could tell that he was having a very good time with this role in the one Bridget Jones's diary. And I think it kind of shows a little bit about where he was going to go and where we see him now, you know, in the incredibly popular Paddington 2 and A Very English Scandal, those, um, those things. And doing where he plays an out-and-out baddie as well. Um, yeah. All right, guys, well, let's head to the scores. Hello, I'm Sam Pay. And I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. And we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song, Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice. <coughs> Very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
Welcome to the FlixWatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Rich, with your recommendability. Um, I'd say I'd give it a three and a half. I think um, coming at it now with modernised, I think it might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people. I think you might have to gauge that very slightly. I think, as we talked about, the, the top subject material could be a little bit awkward for people but i think that the jokes and the comedy and that the concepts are long-standing and I, i'd recommend especially if you're an aspirational bachelor or something like that it's the kind of <laughs> would you i mean then and now i don't think i would have wanted wanted his apartment i never i was never a big fan of just big open studio apartments i think i think you could do better yeah i do wonder <laughs> i mean like especially now you kind of think was that did they not have a bigger tv <laughs> <laughs> I actually found when I bought my first flat and um, I sold it and I found it recently on Rightmove. I was just looking and I saw it and the first thing I noticed about this flat was they'd done it up a lot nicer than I had and things like that, but they didn't have a telly. And that was right. the first thing I thought, Where, where's the TV? I mean, mine, yeah. <laughs> what, do, what does the furniture look at? I don't know. No, I've never done that. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on Rightmove and see how my old flat was doing in Manchester. Um, see, what, <laughs> see who's living there. Um, Kat, recommendability. Uh, I'm going to give it a four because I think that it's I think that it's well written. I think that it's got some very good central performances, and that quote that Marcus says in it, um, two people isn't enough. You need backup." I think actually makes mm. it quite inclusive in terms of recommending it to people because at the end of the film, you aren't being told that the way to happiness is necessarily you know to to pair up. It's more about someone needing a support system. And I think that's a really universal message. Community. Yeah, exactly, community. Helen. Yeah, I'm also going to go for a four. I mean, it's, I think the combination of the source material from, from Nick Hornby, um, you know, a really, really strong cast and, and the soundtrack sort of elevates it above kind of average, kind of a rom-com, but a kind of a, a general comedy drama. And, um, I, th I think even though some of the things are definitely aged a little bit, I still think it's sort of messages are universal and Killing Me Softly song is really funny as well. Oh, I think that cringe, is <laughs> universal. <laughs> you know, we've all been to school. We've all sat through those kind oh. of assemblies. And oh. the moment where he, <laughs> he takes it up to the next level is is pure comedy. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a four. I just, again, I think this is part of the feeling sorry for him as well because his mum his mum just set him up for uh, abuse in a way, hasn't he? Um, I'm going to 3.8. And I think it's, yeah, this kind of, this discussion has helped me unpick a lot of the things I've been thinking about. Like the, I think the, the, the pestery of Hugh Grant's character and the almost loneliness and sadness of, of Marcus and also underpinned by this really serious storyline of depression, which is probably would be treated slightly differently now as well if it, if it was to be done in, in modernise. It's always nice to see, you know, CDs and stuff like that. <laughs> CD players. Oh my God. Uh, repeat the score, Rich. Um, I'll give it a four. I think I could watch it again and, and I've, in coming back to it and, and the, the bits, and I've caught it on TV every so often you turn over and there's all, it usually seems to be about the time Nicholas Holt says, this is for my mum and everyone laughs. Yeah. And, and I just can't help laugh too because I went to a secondary school. I was a boy in a secondary school. I know how it works. And, um, and that was one of the things they actually seemed to get quite well in in the film so um 
I'll give it a four for that. Cat. I'm going to give it a three for some of the reasons I think that we've already talked about. I think that because it deals with some quite uncomfortable material and some of the storylines at the end of the film are left kind of unresolved, so you're not absolutely sure whether this little boy is going to be okay. Where's I think his that, dad? Yeah. <laughs> you see his dad. His dad comes to Christmas. He's really weird. Exactly. That's what I mean. So you see his dad. Oh, yeah. Could, no, it's a very could, good point, actually. Really good point. If you haven't seen his dad, I'd be, I wouldn't be thinking about it. I thought dad's just out of the picture. But you see his dad. His dad's in his yeah. life somehow, but then for two minutes. Yeah. In a weird Christmas Move, scene. moved on, hasn't he? Has he got another mm-hmm. girlfriend? Yeah, you get the impression that his dad is part of the reason why his mum is sad and he's probably slightly a bit weird. You're kind of like one of those dads, you're like, yeah, I can kind of get why they don't really see him very often. Mm, I mean, he brought his, like, mother-in-law to the Christmas day, like... (laughs) Another one of those, like, really bizarre moments, like the mad Christmas that they have together. But just because it, it's not like it, you know, it's not like a Michael Bublé album you'd throw on in the background. This film, I think it does, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be something you relax to, even though it's funny. So, um, yeah. Helen, I enjoyed revisiting it, but not sure whether I'm gonna watch it again. So, two and a half. Uh, I'm gonna go for two point one. Yeah, it's, I've watched it twice. First in the cinema, now, now. <laughs> so, I don't feel the need to watch it again. And I'll watch it again at some point, but yeah, I don't think it'll be high on my list. Um, small screen score, Rich. Yeah, well, um, again, I, I had seen it at the cinema when it came out. Um, I actually watched it in preparation for this on my phone because of time pressures. And it was fine, to be honest. I mean, because it's not special effects driven, the, mm-hmm. the sets, and to be honest, having grown up, there basically where it's filmed i've kind of lost the familiarity of it so i i kind of i, I was fine i think um it seems to work on the tv i don't think you need to see it in the cinema it's not like i mean it'd be a great i suppose a, a fun date movie back in 2002 but um yeah it's, i think this would this seems to live quite nicely on a on a netflix on a tv so um yeah i give it a i give it a four and a half for that Uh, I'd give it a five. I think that it really suits the small screen. I think they do a lot of television watching in the film, don't they, with with Countdown and and all of that. And even someone says life is like being in a TV show, I think, don't they? So it feels as if it suits a television screening. Helen? Five for me as well. Um, Saw it at the cinema. I don't think there's any real need to see see it at the cinema. It's kind of like its vibe is kind of perfect Sunday afternoon watching. Yeah, I'm getting a five as well. I I mean, Badly Drawn Boy soundtrack doesn't need to be listened to on Spotify, basically. That's the best way to listen to it. Um, so, yeah, nothing else pulls it out, makes it extraordinary. They don't even do London that big, do they? It's always like quite small and enclosed spaces and things like that. So, yeah, definitely televisual engagement score, Rich. I, uh, I think a four, for me, it kept me engaged. And I think... Again, there was probably uh, slightly influenced by when I saw it and the place in life I was. But um, I, I think watching it then and then coming back to it now because the idea of some, you know, my own space, that'd be ideal. Be able to watch Countdown, go and play snooker. Mm. Just, yeah, four and a half. Cat. Uh, four. I think that it's it's a film that you definitely want to stick around to, to watch if, if it comes on. So, yeah. Helen. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not one of those ones that you have to be kind of glued to the screen. Like, it's not really intricate and going to mess with your brain if you, like, get up and go to the toilet without stopping it. It's pretty nifty, an hour and 41 minutes. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to four as well. Like, you know, pay attention, you'll get more out of it. But likewise, you can kind of, like, have it on in the background as well. Uh, I'm going for 2.8. I dipped in and out, did a lot of binding being. Yeah, so I don't think... And had to fully pay attention. So uh, 2.8. And that gives an overall score of 3.82500, which is high. I'm, I'm the I'm the dissenter in this case. I apologize, guys. We're going to head over to Twitter now and do follow us, guys, at Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod. And one of the main reasons to follow us is because we put a tweet out before recording uh, of the films we're going to record. And in this case, saying we're chatting about a boy with Beatmax Pod and at Kitty Costanza from Do You Want Me Podcast. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and a score out of five stars for an on-air shout-out on Flixwatcher. And we had a fairly big response. Rich, since it's your film, do you want to pick one? Um, yeah, from um, Paul Stephen Edwards, gave it four stars and said it was a great adaptation. I'd read the novel a few years before. Cat. This is from Coppola Connections, a heartwarming film that perfectly captures the feelings of loneliness and fears of responsibility who would have thought the director made a film about a teen shagging a pie? Four stars. Helen. Uh, this one is from David Marples. I am an island. I'm bloody Ibiza. Wonderful, <laughs> poignant and moving soundtrack by Badly Drawn Boy. Four ducks. Nice, nice emoji use there. Yeah. Uh, Rich. Yeah, Richie Griswold. Wonderful film. Hugh Grant playing Hugh Grant. Not loved by ducks, though. Um, didn't leave a didn't leave a score. No stars but, um, though. Yeah, not, 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 all uh, I can see is one duck emoji. Um, so, I mean, one 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 duck. Does he only like it with one duck? Come on, you know the deal. You need the stars at the end. Um, and cat. Uh, Gidget von Larue says, "Great film. Love Hugh's insults to Tony Collette's character in the restaurant." We've got one last one. No stars oh on this one, but I will read it out because it's a nice review. Joe Scott says, an excellent film. Came out whilst I was working in a video shop and we had it for a preview week and I passed it around and told everyone it was great. Watched it loads since and never not enjoyed it. Grant is brilliant in it and Weiss hot. Awesome. Um, Rich, Kat, can you tell us where we can find your podcast online and your Twitter accounts and everything like that? And we'll say goodbye to everyone who's listening. Yes, uh, don't you want me podcast? Uh, we're on social media as at DYWM podcast on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, we do sort of short, limited runs. We've just done our first series of 10 episodes, dotting a few festive and Valentine's themed episodes coming as well, just to keep things interesting. And, you know, Valentine's is, uh, we're doing a it's kind of Valentine's and riffing on Parks and Rec Galentine's as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Hopefully that'll be available. But uh, yeah, all, all good and bad podcast apps. Anything else from yourself, Kat? Um, yeah, uh, you can find me at Kitty Costanza on Twitter as well as at Don't You Want Me. Awesome. So, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood 
audio, tell them Flix Watcher sent you. You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>